Welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show. This week we are talking about the slippery and tricky subject of oil prices. What does it mean to you, particularly when it comes to at the Bowser, but what are the knock-on effects at the supermarket and in every other facet of life? We'll show you some ways of making sure that you're able to profit from this and insulate yourself away from the pain of higher energy prices. Hey guys, welcome to this week's Money and Investing Show with me, your host, Andrew Baxter, and as always, my offsider and co-host, Mitchell Laurential. Thanks for having me on the show, Mr. Baxter. Now, to save you a terrible segue, let's just jump straight into today's topic. That's one that's been in the news. It's probably something you've experienced at the Bowser, and that is oil prices. Indeed. That's a little bit of a crude segue, not very slick. There you go. They're my two dad jokes for today's podcast. Okay, uh, very podcast. nice. But indeed, yeah, prices at the Bowser are going through the roof, and I think we saw $2 uh, a litre in some places in Sydney last weekend. So, yeah, pretty sobering. I made the mistake of filling up my car last weekend in the middle of Brisbane mm. City, and yep. boy, did I get punished for it. And look, if we take a, just a brief look, oil's added on nearly 20% since September. So we have seen a significant ramp up in prices. I want to break it down though and get your take really on what it means in the overarching economic picture, which I know we've spoken of, but mm. let's really get niche on this. Okay, so we're we looking at $85, $86 a barrel roughly at the point of uh, uh, today's recording date. And uh, you know it has put on a lot of weight over the last few weeks and people think, oh, you know, oil's pretty expensive. You do realize it at $161 way back in 2008, $161 a barrel. And incidentally, at 161 bucks a barrel, we were paying around about $1.45 a litre at the Bowser here in Australia. Now we're paying more and oil prices are half of that level. Go figure. It doesn't make sense. And I know we can jump into the nitty gritty of, of how supply and demand mm. works with oil and how that, say, price gouging effect mm. comes into play. Well, let's chat about, AB, what's actually gone on thus far. In your opinion, let's break it down. Look, there's two things at play, like any price, of course, it's supply and demand. You can't have one without the other to get a price. On the supply side, OPEC, which is the oil-producing uh, group, uh, arguably the world's uh, only legitimate gouging cartel <laughs> from a pricing perspective, um, has been sort of really holding back on supply, which has seen oil prices move up. You know, the Saudi Arabian government really uh, have been under a fair bit of pressure from uh, US President Joe Biden, who's saying, look, come on, pump more oil. Um, and, and thus far, they've resisted doing that. Maybe that might change over the coming weeks. But that restriction in supply, uh, and yet you've also on the other side got rising demand, which we'll talk of in a moment, has largely pushed up the price. Same thing if you look in uh, Europe, for example, where Russia has held back on the supply of heating oil. And we've actually seen heating oil prices, or bigger part of natural gas prices uh, in, in Europe, triple uh, because demand has been so strong and supply has been held back. Now the prices are nice and high. You know, Russia's now going to be piping more of it back into uh, to Europe. And, and whilst that may sound, I'm not going to say unethical, but a little bit price manipulative, you know, how dare they do that? Really, we've not been doing anything different in our iron ore play here in Australia, where our big customer China has been needing iron ore, uh, but with supply being where it's at, uh, prices have been ramped up. You know, you probably could have argued that supply could have been increased along the way there too. Totally, and, and it's just basic basic economics. Yep. When supply is limited and demand starts to increase, when we mm. start to travel and and go more places to need fuel, uh, price is obviously going to reflect that. You also mentioned in the in the conversations we've had in the last couple of days, AB, is that. The Northern Hemisphere heading into winter. Yep. There's also a coal shortage across China and Europe, and mm. I think Germany specifically, mm. right? India as well, and what we've seen in those countries, particularly China and India, which rely very, very heavily on coal for their energy production, uh, the shortage of coal has resulted in a switch to using heating oil uh, as as the, uh, the the raw material to go in to generate power. So that's placed a big uh, 
extra demand, if you will, in the marketplace, which with supply reasonably maintained, has resulted in oil prices jumping to the extent that they have. There are more factors at play, but certainly that switching of fuel consumption uh, that we've seen, particularly out of China and India, has been a major factor there. Um, you know, and as I say, the Saudis have been fairly resolute. They haven't increased production. Ironically, and this is this beggar's belief, but Saudi Arabia is talking about becoming a net zero uh, emissions country by, I think, 2060. Uh, so maybe if they don't pump any oil, it'll be net zero, <laughs> uh, world's biggest producer. So you know, it, it's a very, very interesting game of very, very high level politics that's going on there. So supply, you know, typically been stymied. And one of the things I always talk about is that typically with, with energy consumption, demand, it moves up or down depending on economic activity, but it's usually supply which affects the price the most. So for example, you know, if you had a hurricane in the Gulf of Mexico and a couple of oil platforms were shut down or a refining plant was shut down on the Gulf of Mexico, you'd normally see a spike higher in price because supply has been constrained. So there's always that risk on of a price move and typically it's driven by the supply side. What we're seeing at the moment is both. So we're seeing supply being constrained, albeit to generate more revenue potentially for, for those producing countries. And then on the other side of the equation, we're also seeing a surge in demand as we're seeing the global economy unlock and reopen, if you will, post the pandemic. More people consuming energy, more demand. With limited supply, you're gonna see prices push higher. Um, you know, and if you think about, say, you know, North America, the US particularly, largest energy consumer, you know, you're getting into the holiday season, people are driving around, fuel, petrol requirements are increasing, but also as people travel more for things like Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, demand for aviation fuel, another one of the distillates that come out of uh, crude oil, um, is also going to start ramping. So there's no end in sight for this pressure on the demand side building. Uh, so, you know, 85 now wouldn't be at all a surprise to see 90. I think Goldman's were calling 90 bucks a barrel. Yeah. And, and I think over 100 is well within the realms of realism. Absolutely. The opinion that you have is shared amongst many market professionals across mm. the globe. Goldman Sachs, as you mentioned, and for our listeners, one of the largest investment banks in the world, yes. came out with a report saying that 90 bucks is their target, their estimated price for oil between now and the end of the year. Mm. Sounds like a long time frame. The end of the year is only, what, 10, 12 weeks away. So that's a, quite a short period of time to see a couple of bucks added on. It is. And what we've already seen is, for our, for our listeners out there, Brent crude at a three-year high mm. and the WTI, the West Texas Intermediate, oil prices at nearly a six or seven year mm. high. So some yep. big increases quite recently. Absolutely, and just, just again, just to sort of break that down, we talk about West Texas Intermediate, WTI and Brent. Just so people know what they are, they're different types of oil. They're both crude. Brent typically is North Sea oil. WTI is originally West Texas Intermediate, uh, so it's from uh, the US predominantly. And the reason they're different prices, there are different sulfur content levels in them and they're used for different things. One is a slightly heavier mix, one is a more sour mix for different things. So that just gives you an idea. But there's actually a trade in there too, trading the spread between West Texas and Brent. Normally there's an arbitrage opportunity there where that spreads a certain amount and sometimes it comes in, which is something we've been seeing. So if you're a little bit more sophisticated as an nice. investor, there's an, arbi uh, an arbitrage opportunity between the two trading the spread between West Texas and Brent. Done it before, interesting place to play. Crude oil futures, that's a big boys game. It really is Ooh, yeah. 50 bucks a cent, so you know, you're not messing around with that. No, totally. If you want to know what arbitrage is or you don't know what that is already, reach out to our team, right? Yeah, absolutely. So you, know, you are seeing those sort of moves and yes, they are at higher levels. And it's coming at a time where the global economy, and, and particularly, and we've talked about stagflation uh, in previous podcasts that we've done, and it formed you know, quite an important point of our economics briefing just the other day. Uh, it, it is a very, very important point to acknowledge because rising energy prices do significantly contribute towards inflation. 
And, and there's no question we're seeing rising energy prices. How they knock on and affect inflation? Well, if energy prices are higher, the cost of manufacturing things are higher, the cost of transporting them around and freighting them door to door becomes higher, uh, and, and it's this perpetual cycle. So prices will move up, and uh, that, that does create uh, inflationary pressure. So with, with, en with energy prices and oil prices expected to rise, AB, mm. what would be the net effect on inflation? Is it a pretty substantial effect that we have on the overarching concept? Look, it, it will kick through and hit into the inflation figure. And you know, in the US, you're looking at 5.8% inflation. Australia, it's currently 38 yeah, we've got some data coming out later this week, which probably will revise that figure higher for here in Australia. Um, and I think um, when you look at household expenditure, um, a lot of households are under financial duress. Obviously, we've had a slower economy, and so some people's incomes have fallen. Some have done very well through this period of time. Um, rental levels are increasing. What you're having to compete for rent, so rental prices are going up largely, albeit X, a couple of inner city areas, Melbourne being one of them. So that household budget is there. Food prices are literally flying right now, uh, and if anyone's doing their groceries, um, you, know, you look at, say, buying lamb cutlets or beef, we're paying the price of the drought, there's not enough stock. Farmers have been restocking through the drought. And whilst you know, it's hard to say a lot of the city folk didn't really know it's a drought, they'll get past it. You know, this is the knock-on effect at your inner city supermarket now is the fact that farmers had to cull their herds during that time, which has got a latent effect on where inflation is sitting right now. Um, the, um, so you know, food prices are going up at the supermarket. Most households are seeing that. And again, that's something else that has to come out of your wallet. If we consider petrol or, or, or diesel, if you've got a diesel car, um, fuel prices represent about 3.2% of household spending after tax. Okay, it's not a big amount, it's 3.2% of whatever your after tax earnings are is spent on fuel prices. And that was based on fuel prices being at $1.20 a litre. Now we're seeing a dollar eighty a litre and beyond in some places. That's effectively a fifty percent jump on there. So it's more like five percent. So right? it's got the potential to be creeping up to four, four and a half towards five percent of your net after-tax income starts to go on fuel. And the difficulty of fuel demand, to use an economics term, is very inelastic. You're not going to drive to the Bowser and go, "Oh, it's a dollar eighty-five today." Mm, that's more than what it was a few weeks ago. I think I'll only take the kids to school three days this week instead of five. That, that's just not a conversation or a behavior pattern that people are gonna have. And so that demand is relatively fixed. You need to put fuel in your car to do your base level driving. And, and as such, that amount coming out of the after-tax dollars, plus increased rent, plus increased grocery prices, plus increased electricity, plus increased healthcare costs, all things we've talked about previously, is leaving less and less disposable income, which will eventually impact on our economic growth. Hence, higher energy prices can oftentimes result in inflationary pressure and that stagflation where the economy can then slow down because people's discretionary spending is slowing because their money is going on the fixed cost stuff they can't get around. It's a great, great analysis. And it doesn't sound like a lot, 5% of your net after-tax dollars. But in reality, if you're paying probably 25 to 30% of your net after-tax dollars on your mortgage or your rent, 5% is, mm. is a pretty decent chunk. Yeah, look, and if you, I'm thinking about this from my own personal circumstances. If I exclude motorbikes, we've got a couple of those on our property, we've got six vehicles. 
Now, six kids, six vehicles. They don't each drive a car because they're too young. <laughs> Although my son's starting, that's another story. Um, see him on the farm in the Polaris driving around is quite something to see. Uh, I'm sure people will be going, that's negligent, but anyway. Um, the, the, the reality is that, that is a, it can be a major fixed cost for people. So, you know, that is something that you get no choice over. And, and as a consequence, it's something for people to be quite minded of. So, you know, if you live on a budget and look, some people don't, they just pay it forward, draw down some money out of the property that's going through the roof, doesn't matter. But if you're living on a budget, that dollar value has to come from somewhere. Noting that your electricity bill has gone up, not only because electricity prices are higher, but because you've been at home through the pandemic, you've probably been consuming more. You're also entering into the summer, so most people are going to bang on the air conditioning to cool it down. So these are very real grassroots issues that will affect the economic well-being of a large slab of people in this country and in fact globally. Got you. That's the pain on the household. If we do see that pain experienced, what's the overall effect on the economy, AB? Look, it becomes a drag. Um, you know, and, and, and there are always winners and losers. And let's face it, you know, the, a, a lot of petrol stations in the retail space have put their dial-up on top of, so you know, there's probably 20, 25 cents of dial-up on top of gate prices for fuel right now, if you look at some of the statistics, um, which is pure profit for the petrol station and the chain. That said, those businesses have also experienced a very slack couple of years because of the pandemic. People haven't been around, haven't been able to travel, they haven't been driving around. So they've got revenue lines that they've got the opportunity to capture as we open up. And they're in business, so they're not in the charity space. They're going to do what they've got to do, sure. of course, to, uh, to, to generate profit for their investors, their shareholders. And you know, it's not bad shareholders because you know, chances are your superannuation fund owns some of those businesses. So that's a factor. You've also got, I think in Australia now, we're looking at 60 cents of excise, fuel exercise per litre on fuel. So out of that price, 60 cents of that's going to Canberra. And of course, you've got the GST on top of all of that, which goes to your state government. It's a lot. And uh, it's a lot of, uh, I guess, points to, to draw in together to, to break it down. I think what we really want to know here, AB, from you is considering all that information, mm. where does the investment opportunity lie, in your opinion? Look, if you're someone that's got the, the means and the skill set, I think having exposure to the energy sector is quite compelling, uh, based on the backdrop that we've talked about. ETFs, individual shares? Either in ETFs or shares, you know, and we're carrying trades in the energy space now, and we've done that for quite some time. It's been nice and profitable for our clients. Um, or in the energy ETFs would be you know, quite a good sort of basic step to take to get a broad range of exposure to that. So certainly investing in the energies, and that's not you uh, profiteering from misery, it's just the reality of what is going on in the world with this supply and demand imbalance and that surge in demand as we move into a reopened economy. You know, so many manufacturers, and it's not just travel and it's not just the, uh, you know, moving stuff around. If you look at the plastics manufacturing process, which uses oil, People are trying to backfill orders and, and, and get the supply chains back up and running and demand pumping. All of those things are contributing to it. So there's a massive wave there. That is what's going on. And I've always taken the approach through my trading and investing is identify a set of economic circumstances and then join the dots between those circumstances and a smart, savvy investment opportunity. So energy in, in one respect makes an awful lot of sense. I think also, you know, if you look on a more long-term basis as opposed to just a smash and grab of profiting from the current move up in energy prices. Um, you know, long term, if you look at the case for electric motor vehicles, it becomes even more compelling. I actually note that Tesla put the price of their cars up by five grand last weekend. So there's a strong demand for that. Uh, maybe Mr. Musk is going to be the world's first trillionaire. We'll see how we go. Shot up last night on good earnings too. In, in, indeed. And, and, and you look at SpaceX, it's probably going to be worth more than Tesla. So, you know, it's a guy that's changing the world. Um, so, you know, that demand for electric vehicles has got the potential to become more and more compelling as we see a base level norm 
for, uh, for a higher energy and particularly higher petrol prices. The pain of what you pay up front for an electric car is then offset over the three, five, six years or whatever it might be on, on your consumption side. That's a lot to digest, AB, and I think it really comes down to, as you mentioned, nailing your fundamental analysis on the economic mm. environment and then shaping up trades from mm. there, which is something that we can teach through our programs. Yeah. Any final words as we cap off the broadcast here? Look, this is a very visceral and very raw and very real challenge that's going to be facing a lot of households, and most households are not going to have the skill set or the opportunity to bit a profit from this. They're just under the hammer of getting smashed by higher prices and basically copying it. It doesn't have to be that way. We've articulated the case uh, that we've talked of here as to how to invest and insulate yourself from that price rise at the Bowser and the rise on energy costs across the board. So there are things that you can do. And life is a really funny thing, Mitch. You can be a victim of something or you can be a victor. You can be a victim of it. You can just be the price taker that gets smashed and your household budget's getting smashed. And I get it. If you're living week to week, it's just got even harder to live week to week. I know what that's like. I've been there. It's a horrible place to be. You can upskill and you can take certain steps to, to get out of that too. And investing in knowledge, consuming things like this podcast to learn that there are things that you can do to insulate yourself from that. Maybe you can't get out of it this cycle, but when you're going through that pain of filling your car going, geez, where am I gonna make the, uh, how am I gonna make the ends meet this week with this extra fee that I've gotta to pay to fill my car? Use that pain to spur you on to realign your financial goals and objectives. We're getting towards the back end of the year, perfect time, and we're gonna be running some material to help people in this space. Reset, recalibrate what your goals are for the new year and make the year ahead a very different financial year for you where you start to be able to take this information, join the dots, and turn it, even if it's in a small way, into a profitable outcome for your family. That's what I'd really encourage people to do. Hard to do that in the immediacy of living week to week when you're getting crushed with rising prices. Um, and against all of this backdrop, and I'll stand by my view, expect an interest rate rise way before 2024 because the RBA are gonna have to do something to hit inflation. What we're talking about with oil prices is cost push inflation. But because um, the economy is opening up, there is a high level of demand there as well. And you've got to get those two things in check and balance and interest rates with a property market that's running away with rising rents that we're starting to see for, for people that have to rent rather than own where they live. They're all bad things that are there and that needs to be managed. It needs to be managed on a central basis just to get things back on an even keel. Very difficult situation. We are over a barrel, even though we do produce energy here, we are in a difficult place because energy prices are a global price. They're not an Australian price. There's no locals discount. I wish there was, AB, great analysis and even better advice. Thank you very much. Anytime, absolute pleasure. There you have it, guys. That's oil well and truly covered. Watch this space, take advantage of the opportunities, and as always, make sure you give us a review and a rating, and we'll see you next week.